Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. Welcome back to the first team. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by former NFL and college football QB Matt Sims. Also joining us is Ryan Roberts, Irish breakdown recruiting analyst. Today, we're going to be talking about and breaking down everything regarding the news surrounding Northwestern scandal and the firing of their head coach, Pat Fitzgerald. So the news broke on on Monday that he was not going to be uh, the next you know, the current coach continuing his role as the coach at Northwestern after over the weekend and the end of last week, there was reports of serious allegations of hazing going on within this program. Guys, I want to start off here with there's for some reason, which was odd guys like Danny Cannell uh, and, and I'm blanking on um, the guy from Outkick who was also saying that they rushed a judgment that this was, you know, a mob attack on uh, Pat Fitzgerald to go after him and take him down as the head coach. But I, I am of the belief that this was the right thing to do. There seemed to have been mounting evidence. But I want to get your guys' thoughts on this situation. Was this the right approach? Did they handle this effectively? Uh, because there seems to be a bit of a debate on if that was done appropriately. Matt, let's go to you first. Yeah, anytime that you're in these type of situations, I feel like there is no perfect way for you to end a marriage that at the time seemed like the most perfect marriage in all of college football. It's unfortunate for the players, it's unfortunate for the Northwestern community and their athletic community. I mean, just in the past year, uh, we saw Pat Fitzgerald get that contract extension for another 10 years for $57 million, right? The guy was going to be a coach there for, you know, all the way into 2030. So it's, it's unbelievable that the events have happened the way that they have. Uh, at the same time, you know, we have to have some level of sensitivity, empathy, and sympathy for those who are potentially uh, have been harmed during these hazing allegations. Now, of course, there will always be the, you know, he said, they said, whatever situation, you know, when you get into these things. But it sounds like there's enough evidence that does say that these things took place. And Everyone keeps saying the same thing. Pat Fitzgerald, he didn't know about it. Well, in defense of that, that's actually a really bad sign if he didn't know anything about these things going on underneath uh, you know, his, his mm-hmm. control of that organization. So uh, as much as I think a lot of us as football fans are huge fans of the gentleman and who he was and how he represented himself and the school, there, there is this serious underbelly that was taking place. Um, and, and I think the school did the right thing. And unfortunately for them, too, there's not much time right now before the season starts. So they couldn't have this hanging over their program's head going into September for week one. I think they made the right decision. And uh, now, you know, where and how do they move forward is the big question. I think they made the right decision without question. I, I would not I will be completely honest about this, though, fellas, like when it first happened, I was a little bit back and forth on the timing of everything because I am yeah. one of those people that are like, you know, let, let the process kind of figure itself out and then the truth will come out in the end, right? right? I know there was mounting evidence to your point, Joe. So I think that the end result would have been what, where we're at now, that there would have been a firing and then there would have had to have been a 
period of figuring things out. But I, when I, more I think about it, and I think you just hit on a key point, Matt, that's kind of like leading me to the, my my opinion now, is that there's not a lot of time until the season, right? We're like 50-something days away from college football happening. And one, we're talking about who is most affected by this. It's the student-athletes that are involved, right? right? And whether a player is going to decide to stay at Northwestern under the new regime, you know, the, I know the assistant coaches are still going to be there, or if they're going to make the decision to go to a different program and then take the next avenue of their of their process, you need time to make those decisions, right? So if it was a longer process of figuring out Pat Fitzgerald's future, I feel like you would have had a very limited window, even more than you already have, for some of these kids to make very rash decisions, to have to figure right. out transfer, stay. So I think that this was the right course of action in the end because I do think that figuring this out now – because if, especially if you think that this was going to be the final result, figuring this out now is more beneficial for the student athletes. Now talk to the coaches, talk to the people up, up top, talk to everyone involved in this process and what it's going to look like moving forward. So these players have the option of, I still want to be a part of this, or I don't want to have anything to do with this. And now I have some time to get out before obviously fall camp begins and everything becomes super serious. So I think that everything happens about as the right timing that it should have happened because I think that the student athletes mm. deserve as much possible time to make that decision for themselves. The the one thing that I point to though, for those who are upset with the, the quick change of direction, because originally he was suspended for two weeks. I, I think that they set themselves up Northwestern, the administration set themselves up for failure, the way that they handled it. Had they indefinitely suspended him, that would have created a little bit more of a blanket to take their time in investigating this. They're, they were forced to make this decision quickly after the two-week suspension. That Because a two-week suspension is a slap on the wrist. Before the season starts, a two-week unpaid suspension is stupid. That's a complete mishandling of the whole entire thing. The, the allegations were severe. It, again, it's not like it was um, you know, him him mishandling players and, you know, running them into the ground and mistreating them or something along those lines. It, it was seriously disturbing. Sexual assault allegations were what were, what was brought up. And all three of us played the game of football at, at varying levels. I, I never experienced anything weird like this. There's a couple odd things that happen in the locker room, but nothing is messed up as this. This is not normal behavior. So for accusations and evidence like this to be out there and to only suspend him for two weeks is, is just so stupid. It is a terrible, terrible handling of this by the organ, uh, by the, the university itself, the University of Northwestern. But at the same time, though, that my whole point here is had they had given him an indefinite suspension, it would have allowed them to handle this a little bit easier, look into it, and then make that decision. And I agree with Matt's point, though. That's the biggest thing for me where there is this point of, oh, he didn't know. There's not a single head coach at that level, especially in, a, in the Big Ten, that doesn't know every single thing that's going on in his locker room, especially something as crazy and messed <laughs> up as this. There's no there's no way. There's absolutely no way that he didn't know that this was going on. And that's what's unfortunate, I think, for the entire situation is that – and the reason why they made the decision, the RAS decision like you're discussing, is because they probably heard rumblings about this over the past decade or so as well, and they did nothing about that. And, yeah. and that's where it, it's a black guy, not only on Coach Fitzgerald, it's a black guy on the entire community and that whole entire program and who's running it. 
Um, you know, of course, everyone's going to be pointing fingers and, and, and blaming each other for it. But, but at the end of the day, you know, these are very, very serious allegations, like you're saying, Joe, uh, especially to, you know, in the time frame in which we live in now with social media and everything like that. Uh, it's way more easier for people to share their stories, to voice their opinions, to share what they saw in person. And uh, and these things have to be treated with with tremendous respect and care for those who have potentially been harmed by this. And, you know, what's really wild, too, is that this is a school that, you know, obviously kind of turned a blind eye to what was going on. A coach that turned a blind eye to maybe what was going on or didn't know about it, but nonetheless still doesn't make it any better. But in the past few years, $250 million for a football facility, right? $800 million proposed for their new stadium renovations that are being built. So this is a school that is now just forking up hundreds of millions of dollars to improve their athletic program that was solely focused on one gentleman, you know, and, and now he's gone. So now Northwestern is a really uh, a tough position as far as just their identity crisis right now. What is going to be their identity going forward? Because essentially the whole athletic program was built upon Pat Fitzgerald and the way that he ran things within his football team. This also now opens up the ability for multiple players, if not most of this roster, to enter the portal. Realistically, not there's not going to be a, a mass exodus, but the best players likely are going to leave because of the just the messy, messy situation that this team and the environment with this team that they're currently dealing with. Because of the, the fact that their coach is gone, it does reopen the portal opportunity for these players per NCAA rules. Ryan, you know this, this roster well enough to kind of share with us some of the names that you think could hop in the portal. Who are some of those guys that you think that could? Yeah, I mean, because I, I think it's a really interesting conversation, Joe, because you say that it's probably not going to be a mass exodus, but I've talked to a couple of players already from Northwestern that like are very undecided on their season, man. And it's not even a couple of these kids that I'm talking about. It's more like the fringe, solid starter types that are on Northwestern. But when you're talking about a few of the key names that I would look for as potential transfer options, because it's not even counting the 2023 recruiting class that's obviously coming in and has just enrolled in the summer because like I could talk about Jordan Knox who's a really talented offensive lineman who we actually talked about in our little bit of a recruiting back back um, backgrounds and mm. evaluations you know a few months ago but I think the main guys that I would have my eye on and I think that other teams will have their eye on is one is Josh Preeb who is their starting offensive guard he, he was actually slated to play left tackle this year he was going to take over for Peter Skaronsky, who, of course, went top 15 last year in the 2023 NFL draft to the Tennessee Titans. And he so he was a starting left guard, was planning to move out to left tackle. He's a really good football player. I think right now, <clears throat> draftable player on tape as of right now, but I think he has top 150 upside. I think he could be a fourth-rounder better player when he eventually does enter the NFL draft, whether that is in 2024, 2025, because the great thing about him is, He's only a junior eligibility, so he's going to have two years of eligibility for whatever team if he does enter the portal. He has ability to play offensive guard. I think he could also play center. Like, There's no reason he can't do that. He was a kid that was going to make the transition to tackle. So college teams, NFL teams, they're always starved for good offensive linemen. And I think Josh Preeb has versatility that you look at and can get super excited about. I think the other big guy for me is Xander Mueller, who's an inside linebacker for them, who was second on the team in total tackles, but had double digits of tackles for loss last year. Six foot three, 235 pounds, also a junior eligibility. So he'll have two years of, of 
college football, moves well, has a nice frame, very underrated athlete working sideline to sideline or slot to slot. I think he really has nice movement skills. He's a very intelligent football player. Everybody needs this type of player who can also play a little bit of will, but he's a true Mike on the college level into the NFL level. And then the last guy that I really am very intrigued in by, a, a tree, intrigued by, but didn't play a ton in 2022, was Koko Azimi, who is a starting safety for the team, number zero. He only started two contests, but had over 20 tackles last year and an attack and a pass breakup. This kid is a premier alley runner from the safety position, a guy that is going to be a really good special teamer as well. If he's able to stay healthy, I think he could, be, he could have been one of the best safeties in the Big Ten in 2023. And if he does enter the portal, I think that he would be a big get for a team that needs a potential starting safety and a guy that could also play special teams for you. Matt, I, I know that it's really hard to know what it's like in this circumstance unless you're actually one of these players, but you are somebody who actually did transfer multiple times. And I'm just, from like your perspective, I know I'm not trying to draw too much of a parallel, but you you have transferred before. And I'm just curious, like, do you think that for these players – that committed to the university, didn't necessarily commit to Pat Fitzgerald, do you think it, it, it would be in their best interest to maybe separate themselves from it? Or would it be better? Is this one of those things where it might be better for them in, the, in their long-term future? It's a good academic university. It's not like this is, you know, a, a, a lowly uh, FCS program that doesn't have, you know, good academics. This <laughs> like is a, a good... Oh, wow. Shut up. Well, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> wow. Rhode Island. Uh, <laughs> Man, this is all a, right. This is one of the best academic <laughs> schools in the country. But from your perspective, uh, Matt, like, what do you think? Do you think that a lot of these guys should transfer or they should stick it out? That is really just up to the individual and and what they're dealing with personally, educationally, right? And just, you know, with, with their academics and, and athletics, it's just such a complicated uh, situation for all these young men um, and including the coaches and everyone else that is surrounding the, the entire program too. Uh, yes, Joe is definitely bringing back some of the stories that I've shared with you in private about my time there when I was there with Lane Kiffin in Tennessee and when he uh, moved on to USC, which was then replaced by Derek Dooley. Uh, for me in that particular situation, uh, I had reached the, the pinnacle of just college football. I had gotten to Tennessee. I was in the SEC. I was going to compete to be a starting quarterback in the SEC at the University of Tennessee and to follow in the great footsteps of so many other great quarterbacks that had come before me. So for me, despite the fact that my head coach uh, who recruited me left, I was staying put. I was happy where I was because I knew that I was a part of a program that was much bigger than myself and was playing against some of the greatest football players in the country. That being said, you know, each individual is different. In this situation with Northwestern, I mean, you said it right on, you know, it's perfect what you said, Joe. This is this is one of the schools, one of the Division One schools in our country that is D1 Ivy League, right? And Northwestern is one of them. Stanford is the other. You know, I'm sure there's a few others that would be up there battling for that that right to say that. But, I mean, Northwestern, I mean, you got to say that it's it's one of the top academic programs in the country, and that makes it in the world as well. And Pat Fitzgerald used to say one of those things all the time to all the guys he was recruiting. This isn't a four-year commitment. This is a 40-year commitment because of how strong the Northwestern alumni and networking is. And, uh, and you see it all over in the sports world, in the business world. You know, I feel like I see Northwestern, Boston College guys – all over the Northeast right now. So yes. um, 
you know, that network is strong and it is real. So these young men have uh, some tough decisions to make. At the end of the day, though, you are having a free ride at one of the greatest schools this country has ever seen. So, uh, you know, now you're kind of putting your faith back into the people who are running the school and hoping that they can find someone that is at least going to keep some sustainability uh, in the in the proper direction. The crazy thing, too, though, and we got to remind everybody, these past two years, it's not like Pat Fitzgerald has really been killing it. Right. You know, right. I mean, right. the past two years, uh, I think his total overall record is like four and 20 something. So, um, you know, he hasn't really been crushing it in this this modern era of football, especially with the transfer portal being more aggressive. So it, it'll be very curious to see what steps Northwestern takes uh, to move forward with their with their program. To, taking this in a little bit more of a, a fun perspective and moving past all the negatives of it, there is now a coaching opening and one of our favorite just games in the media is to talk about like who takes this job, who makes the most sense. Now it's, it's going to be hard for them to, to find somebody who fits exactly the needs of this situation. It feels as though that they would want an established coach with a background of working at multiple programs or at least being a head coach at one program that they're able to handle and navigate the chaos that might ensue uh, once they do take over. Now, it was floated out there, the whole Ed Ogeron thing, and that was very quickly uh, debunked <laughs> by Bruce Feldman, who is very clearly close with, with Ed Ogeron, who wrote a whole book about him uh, and followed him in his whole time at, at Old Miss. So Bruce Feldman is trusted there. I also want to throw out there, I jokingly talked about it on one of my shows, and for some reason, I posted the clip, Ed Orgeron's son uh, quote tweeted and said, not happening. So we've got a little bit of a direct source uh, on that. But so no Ed Orgeron, but I would love to pitch uh, some options here on who we think could take over. Uh, Ryan, you <laughs> and I are in agreement on this one guy. So who's who's the one who you think would make sense? I think David Shaw makes a lot of sense, who obviously is the former coach of Stanford, because I think that there's a lot of parallels that you made. I mean, literally, Matt just talked about Stanford and Northwestern being the hierarchy as far as when you're talking about education, right? Like you could throw Notre Dame and Vanderbilt into that conversation as well, but those are two of the premier academic institutions of the country. So David Shaw, although the last couple of years was not great at Stanford, he still understands all the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations that it comes with, with getting a football team up to caliber in a Power 5 conference with the academic restrictions that you have. He understands that. Recruiting, when academics are matter and you have to be able to get a kid in school and, and all those restrictions that come, in, come into place. So I think you look at that and say that that's a pretty easy direct parallel. He also has won a lot of football games in his career. Again, the last couple have not been great, <clears throat> but I would also say this, guys, and this is just my opinion, just kind of as an observer, Stanford is one of those programs that – I don't think necessarily cares a ton about being this high level mm. program, right? Like they don't put a lot of money into football. They are an academic institution first and foremost. Matt, you already talked about some of the numbers. Northwestern has shown that they do care a little bit more about athletics, right? Like they're going to put some money back into the football program. They're potentially going to reinvest that money to make the program and the athletic, the athletic part of it and the everything involved better quality. So I think if David Shaw is in a better situation where everybody, the boosters, the alumni, everyone top presidents, all on the same page of we want to 
get this to a respectable and consistent program. Not the, we'll win 10 games one year and then go 1-11 and 3-9 and nine the next couple years, right? Like consistency. I think David Shaw can still be that guy because I think David Shaw is a good football coach. I do. I just think that he needs support behind him, which I don't think he had, especially during the last few years of his Stanford career. So I think that you bring in a, a veteran guy, a guy that knows the landscape, a guy that knows how to get around all those difficult areas of trying to sport a football team and a high level with the academic um, restrictions that are there, I think David Shaw would actually be a very seamless transition potentially going from Fitzgerald to Shaw. Matt, you warned us that you have a a unique pick. Who who do you think it could be? Oh, it wasn't like one of those. I mean, don't don't give me that, Joe. But uh, (laughs) You said you were excited to tell us. Sorry. I was was very excited to tell you guys. I love Shaw. I I really do. I think that's a fantastic pick, you know, for this going forward and and for them to to keep him in consideration because of the person that he is, the character and all that. So that's a great one. Uh, I look at Gary Patterson, former TCU head coach, as being someone to maybe look into as a potential head coach for Northwestern. I mean, this is a guy that, that accumulated 181 wins and 79 losses in his career as a head coach. He's been very successful at TCU, another school that has uh, some of its limitations because of the type of school that it is. You know, not every recruit in the world is exactly excited to go to Texas Christian University. So he knows how to sell uh, the school himself. Mm-hmm his organization, and he knows how to, you know, essentially be a great leader of young men. And he's been doing it for a very long time. And, of course, we know that he had uh, this past year, he was not the head coach there. He was, uh, I think, the assistant special teams coach at Texas, if I'm if I'm correct. Or like uh, an, so analyst. Think, yeah, yeah, analyst. an analyst. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. he's an analyst, Defense right? Analyst. So he's been involved yeah. in the game. He's obviously been, you know, paying attention to what's going on in the recruiting trail in those meetings with those Texas uh, coaching coaching staff. So I think Gary Patterson would be a really interesting uh, nod for Northwestern to look into because of his rapport as a man and as a leader for as long as he's been doing this. Joe, I know I what your pick's going to be. It's going to be Brian Kelly because he has northern roots and he looks good. Uh, ha, 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 Don't have to ha, change ha, his ha. accent again. Uh, <laughs> ha, ha. Right, well, yeah, he's already got the the whole Midwest <laughs> accent going on, but uh, he should have that going on as his accent. But I, I have <laughs> so I have two. I just want to throw out there. I yeah. think Willie Fritz is a good one to bring up. He turned down the Georgia Tech job, and he's somebody who has coached successfully over the past couple of years and for a decent amount of time at Tulane, which is a, an academically prestigious school. I, I just think in general, like what you guys both talked about, you need the right type of guy who has the track record at particular types of schools. So finding somebody who is experienced with finding academically-minded recruits and getting them to come play for you, I think that Willie Fritz makes sense. I also have a little bit of a, a strange one that I want to throw out, uh, and I think that Ryan's going to hate this one. Oh, I think no. that Al Golden is a bit of a sneaky one to consider here, the oh, Notre Dame one. defensive coordinator. He's a he is a uh, a Northeast guy. He's from New Jersey. He's from South Jersey. He Whoa. has coached all over the place. He has been a head to, a head coach at Temple. He's been a head coach at Miami. And there's also <laughs> there's also not the the, the biggest love for Al Golden at Notre Dame. So I'm sure if he got that opportunity to bounce and go somewhere else, he would gladly take it. We've got about a minute remaining, but just any quick thoughts on that, Ryan, because I know that you obviously are Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I mean, I think Al Golden would actually be an interesting one, Joe. I was not expecting you to go there, I mean, but he has experience, like you said. And he also had restrictions of coaching at Temple, which is not the easiest place to, to 
get talent to come to. Right? So I think right. it's an interesting one. My only pushback on Willie Fritz, because I think Willie Fritz is a really good football coach, but if you just look at the history of Willie Fritz, he's a Southern guy, man. Like, that's his roots. He's been in Texas. Yeah. He's been in Georgia. He's been down on the – Ryan Kelly like, mid- is a Midwest guy. He's at LSU. And he should have he should have stayed up north, but at a different institution. <laughs> okay. But all right, any, anyway, right. anyway, KYP, right. KYP, know your KYP. personnel. <laughs> <laughs> We're, uh, that's it for today's show, folks. Thank you for tuning in at Joe DeLeon, at Sims Complete QB at Rise and Draft. We will be back next week with more. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.